Welcome to the podcast of Destiny Community Church. What a wonderful, wonderful weekend it has been at Destiny Community Church. Yesterday at the DCC property, we had our annual extravaganza. And I'm pleased to report to you over 1,700 people attended the DCC extravaganza. Amen. Yeah. And I want to say thank you to everybody involved. Too many names for me to list, but thank you. Uh, for those of you that, that donated candy, those of you that stuffed eggs with candy, those that were actually there physically and working and serving and, and setting up and, you know, wiping snot off kids' noses and keeping them from getting hurt and all that kind of stuff. Thank you. Just thank you. It's a huge outreach from our community or for our community from this church. And it makes a difference. It does. And we're already receiving messages um, through our social media. People are telling us how much they appreciate all the work that went into it. And um, Jennifer Ratter, you did a fantastic job of heading up that event. Wonderful, wonderful job. And then this morning at 7 a.m., it actually feels like it was yesterday, <laughs> but at 7 a.m. this morning, Pastor Andrew, you did a fantastic job at our sunrise service and the team that led out there in worship. We had a wonderful time of God's Word and communion and uh, just, just great. And then we've had our 8 o'clock service. We've had a 9.30 service, and you're here to help us close out Easter weekend at Destiny Community Church. So thank you for being here. Yeah. There was an atheist that complained to his Christian friend. And he said, you Christians, you have your special holidays, such as Christmas and you have Easter. He said, even the, Jew, the Jews, he said, they, they celebrate their holidays, such as Passover and Yom Kippur. He said, every religion seems to have its holidays, but we atheists, he said, we don't, we don't have any recognized national holidays. He says, it's unfair discrimination. His Christian friend replied, he said, really? He said, don't you guys celebrate April 1st? <laughs> Psalm 14 and 1 says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. And today we celebrate the ultimate April Fool's prank where Jesus punked the enemy, didn't he? He allowed the enemy to kill him. You have to understand those words. He allowed the enemy to kill him. Jesus said, no man takes my life. He gave his life. He allowed the enemy to kill him and believe that he had won and that Jesus had been defeated only to find out three days later, guess who's back? Well, while on the cross, Jesus... He had a few last-minute things that he needed to say. We, we call these, or we tend to call these, uh, deathbed confessionals. And I don't really think that his were necessarily confessionals, but there's a realization that someone has on their deathbed, and the cross was the deathbed for Christ. We know that, that he didn't stay dead, but that was the deathbed for, for Christ. And, and so there are some things that he said while while on the cross that are of great significance to us. And we find these sayings in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We call them the seven sayings of the cross. The first one is when Jesus is hanging on the cross and the Roman soldiers are, are casting lots for his garments. And, and they're mocking him. And so he's, he's hanging on the cross. He, he sees what's happening and he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. The second saying 
It's when Jesus is hanging on the cross in between two thieves, and one thief is, is mocking him and, and, and just, just calling him, you know, or, or looking at him and saying, you know, if you are the Son of God, save us, you know. And the other one, he says, I recognize you're the Son of God, actually rebukes the other thief. And hanging on the cross, Jesus looks at this one and he says, today you will be with me in paradise. The Gospel of John records where Jesus is on the cross and John, his disciple, and Jesus' mother, Mary, they, they're standing down and they're looking. And from the cross, Jesus says, Son, behold your mother. Mother, behold your son. In other words, John, take care of my mom. I've got some things I've got to do, but man, I need you to take care of my mom. While he's hanging on the, the cross, feeling the, the guilt, the shame, the pain, the blame, everything that goes with sin. And as he's hanging on that cross, he looks up to heaven and he says, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? We'll read it in our text today, but, but he said, I thirst. I thirst. Who can forget when he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. But there's one more recorded saying that might be the most important words that Christ ever said. It's by far the most important words that have ever been spoken over our lives. We find them in John chapter 19. So if you'll turn with me to John chapter 19, I want to start reading today at verse 17. John 19 and verse 17. And it reads, So they took Jesus and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an, ins an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the, treat, the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. Now we go over to verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. Jesus had received the sour wine. He said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Have you ever had a debt that you could not pay? I mean, you really wanted the debt to go away. Your life would be so much easier if you could just remove this debt from your life. Maybe it's a mortgage payment. Maybe your house payment. Maybe, maybe uh, it's a car payment. Whatever it is, if, if you could remove this indebtedness, if you could get this out of your life, your life would be so much better without it. When Mandy and I first got married, we bought a small double-wide mobile home. And we put it on a small piece of property in Lake City on Old Country Club Road. And, and the lot where we put the mobile home, it was, it was really sandy. And I remember telling Mandy, I said, we're going to ruin the carpet 
in our new home, this small little double wide. And I said, we're going to ruin the carpet if we don't get a porch on this thing. The problem was we didn't have the money to build a porch. We were newlyweds. We didn't have money to put into a porch. And, and, and so I told Mandy, I said, we've got to do something. We've, we've, got to, we've got to find a way to build a porch. But we had a credit card. It was $1,500 spending limit on this credit card. And so we took the credit card. I took the credit card. I went down to, to Scotty's. Now, for those of you in the room that are under the age of, of let's say, 22 years old and Scotty's, um, before Lowe's and the Home Depot, we had Scotty's. So I went down to Scotty's and I maxed out the credit card, $1,500 on lumber and screws and floor joists, you know, everything that I needed to build this, this porch. And I, I built this porch. It's still standing today. I can build a porch. I don't like it, but I can build a porch. 23, almost 23 years later, the porch is still standing. I maxed out a credit card and all Mandy and I could afford was these $25 a month, you know, the, the minimal payment that you could make each month on the card. And that's all we could afford. So we would just pay $25 a month. And three years later, we're still paying on this $1,500. It was, I mean, the interest was high. It was eating us up. And, and there was a debt that I just wanted to get rid of. It was a debt that was, that was causing some problems for us because we just needed it removed. In the English language, we read three words from our text today. It is finished. It is finished. But in the Greek, it is finished is actually one word, tetelestai. It's a fun word to say. Won't you say it with me? Say it. Tetelestai. Say it again. Tetelestai. Tetelestai. It wasn't a phrase, it wasn't a sentence. It's just one word, tetelestai. That's what Jesus said hanging on the cross, tetelestai. We translate that, it is finished. But that one word packed a powerful punch. It meant the completion of a transaction. In accounting, it means paid in full. Well, I wish somebody would have said tetelestai over that $1,500 credit card I had maxed out. That would have helped, right? Tetelestai. But be careful. Church, don't confuse I am finished with it is finished. Those are two different phrases. When I say someone is finished, when I describe someone that way, they're, they're finished. It means that they have reached the end of their rope. Stick a fork in them. They're done. You know, they're, they're, they're done with this. It, it's a phrase that someone might use if, if they are quitting their job. I'm finished with this place. Or maybe if they're walking out of a relationship, they would say, I'm finished. I'm done with you. But Jesus did not say, I am finished. He said, it is finished. It is finished because Jesus was just getting started. That's what we don't realize about those words. When Jesus said, it is finished, he was just getting started. It's kind of like this. Remember when you were in high school and you remember how no offense to the high school boys in the room, but you just want to prove how big and bad you are. They do. They all walk around looking cool all the time. They just, they think they're cooler than what they are. They don't realize exactly how dorky all the girls see them as, but, but it, it's kind of like being in that high school cafeteria and, and you've got these two guys and they're trying to impress the crowd that is gathered around them. And so they're saying, they're saying things like one of them will look at the other one just to cut on him a little bit. And he'll say, you're so ugly. 
slow down. I haven't given the punchline yet. Some of you, he says, you're so ugly. When your dad dropped you off at school, he got a ticket for littering. (laughs) No, that's the wrong response. Why? No, all three services. Nobody gets it right. If you're in high school and you're in the cafeteria and you're surrounded by friends and he cuts on you like that, what does he do? Say it. That's it. Put, put your hand up to your mouth. Come on, try it. Say That's how it works in the high school cafeteria. And so this guy just cut on this guy, but not to be outdone by that guy. This guy says, your girlfriend is so ugly. When I took her to the zoo, the zookeeper thanked me for bringing her back. Not to be outdone by this guy. This guy over here, he says, man, when God was passing out brains, you thought he said trains and you asked for a slow one. (laughs) This guy, not to be outdone by that guy, he simply says this, your mama. The response at that moment is not, oh, no, no, no. The response to the, from the crowd at that moment is, no, he didn't just talk about his mama. Because when you talk about somebody's mama, it's game on at that moment. You know that, right? All the men in the room, you know that, right? Somebody talk about your mama, it's done. Your mama could have slapped you on the way to school. But you let somebody else talk about your mama and you come alive. And so this guy over here, he, he's had enough. And he's, it's finished. It's finished. This, this is done. Heads are about to, somebody hold my juice box. We are going at it right now. When Jesus said, it is finished, to tell us die, when he said, it is finished. He was just getting started, church. He was saying, it's on. It's time to do this. It's about to go down right now. And we talk about the cross. And we talk about the resurrection. But what about that day in between? We know about the cross. We know about the resurrection. But what happens right here in the middle of all of that? We have Good Friday. We have Resurrection Sunday, but what happened on Saturday? Was, was that just you know lazy day for Jesus? Just a day at the spa? Is he just going to lay lifeless in the tomb? Getting some well-deserved rest because of all the miracles that he's been performing? You know, What, what was Saturday? What was that about? Why is, is there just an, a, a, an empty day right there? Well, what happens on that day? Is he sleeping? I don't think so because my Bible says that my God never sleeps nor slumbers. I don't think I I serve a lazy God, okay? So I know that he wasn't sleeping. But the Apostles' Creed, which is the oldest creed of the Christian church, it says, just a part of it reads like this. It says, we believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by uh, by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and buried. Get this. He descended into hell, and the third day he rose again from the dead. Did you hear what the Apostles' Creed says? It, 
They say that Jesus descended into hell between the crucifixion and the resurrection. Why would Jesus go to hell? Why would Jesus descend into hell? Throughout the Bible, the number three represents perfection. Every time you see the number three, it's about perfection. During his ministry, Jesus, he healed or actually raised from the dead three different people. The widow's son from Nain. We know that he raised the daughter of Jairus and he also raised his friend Lazarus. Why would they record three instances where Jesus raised someone from the dead? It's to show his perfect power over death. That death cannot defeat Jesus, that Jesus always wins over death. On the cross above Jesus, there was a sign that, that said, King of the Jews. And we read this in our text this morning. And it was written in three different languages. Perfection. In the Godhead, there was God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Perfection in the Trinity. And Christ began his ministry at the age of 30 and died at the age of 33, showing us that his ministry was perfect. And in divine per perfection, he was dead for three days. We know that he died and was buried on the first day, Friday. We know that he was resurrected early on the third day, Saturday. But what happens on Saturday, that second day? 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18 and 19 gives us a glimpse of, of what happened. He says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. Understand what, what Peter's telling us. He said, he said, when Jesus died in the flesh... He was made alive in the Spirit. When Jesus died in the flesh, He was made alive in the Spirit. And He went preaching in Sheol, the place where the dead were. You see, the Jews, they believed that Sheol, often translated as Hades, that it, it was separated into two sections. That one side was for the righteous and the other side was for the unrighteous. But they're just there. They're just dead and they're just there. The righteous and the unrighteous. And there were Old Testament saints in Sheol that were awaiting the arrival of the Messiah. The, the prophets of the Old Testament had promised time and time again that the Messiah will come. And when the Messiah comes, He will come and restore Israel. And so you have Old Testament saints that they trust in God that are, are just dead. Hebrews 11, verses 39 and 40 says, And all of these, talking about the Old Testament saints, and all of these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. The psalmist, Psalm 49 and 15, listen to what he said. He said, But God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol, for He will receive me. The psalmist knew, I may be dead, 
But when the Messiah comes, He will rescue me from the power of Sheol. He will rescue me from the grip of Hades. He will receive me. Church, you have to understand that He died on Friday. He was resurrected on Sunday. But on Saturday, Jesus had some work to do. And He went marching through death, hell, and the grave. And He was claiming what was His. He was taking back what belonged to Him. And I'm convinced that some of us could stand to die in the flesh a little just to come alive in the Spirit. Because that's what it requires. In order for you to come alive in the Spirit, you have to die to flesh. And when you do, you get to start claiming, just like Jesus did, you get to start claiming the things that rightfully belong to you. Let me speak prophetically into some of your lives right now. As you begin to die in your flesh and come alive in the Spirit, you'll begin speaking over your marriage and you'll get your marriage back. For some of you, you'll start speaking over your kids and you'll get your children back. Those that have gone astray, you will receive your children back. You can get the blessings of God back that rightfully belong to you, but the enemy has taken them from you. But when you die to your flesh and you come alive in the Spirit, you get to start claiming the things that rightfully belong to you. Jesus had some unfinished business. He literally went to hell and back and took back what was his. Revelation 1 and 18, Jesus says these words. He says, I am the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades. He said, I got my keys back. Satan, you've been driving my car long enough. You stole my car. It's Grand Theft Auto. You stole my car, and you've been driving it long enough, but I want my keys back. I want my keys to death, hell, and the grave. Those belong to me. I'm done. It is finished. I'm taking what belongs to me. But, but there's something about this word. I just can't get away from this word. To tell us die. Say it again. Say it. I feel like Whoopi Goldberg's character on The Lion King. Say it again. Say it again. <laughs> to tell us die. There's something about this word. It, it's just, it's so unique. Verb tenses are the most important and most communicative part of the Greek language, but they're often lost in translation. There's, there's just certain things that, that they just don't translate well. And they tried. They tried their best. But this is one of those words, tetelestai. It was impossible for them to say in English what this word really meant in the Greek. And on the cross, Jesus speaks in what is referred to in the Greek as perfect tense. It's actually a combination of two tenses. And, 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 and the perfect tense, which is very rare in the New Testament. You don't see it often. And it has absolutely no English equivalent. But Jesus speaks in the perfect tense. And why wouldn't he? I mean, he's, he's perfect. And why would he speak anything less than perfect, especially in such a critical moment? Our lives hang in the balance. I don't know about you, but I need him speaking in the perfect tense, right? I need him to say it just right. I don't need there to be any doubt. I need him to say to telestai and, and, and mean it when he says it. This perfect tense meant that there was an ongoing result of something that has already been completed. We don't have a word in the English language that corresponds with that. It's the ongoing result of something that has already been completed. On the day that I turned 18 years old, I was working at a grocery store in Lake City. 
And in my home growing up, my dad was a pastor. Any form of gambling was off limits. And so for me, growing up in that home, playing the lottery was sinful. But I turned 18, and I made myself a deal. I said, today on my 18th birthday, I'm going to play the lottery. And if I win anything, I'll play it again. But if I lose on this one try, if I lose, I'll never play the lottery again. So I came from the stock room on my 18th birthday. I walked right up to the service counter in the grocery store. The girl that worked with me there, I told her, I said, I want a scratch-off ticket. Showed her my ID. I'm now 18 years old. She hands me a scratch-off ticket right there on her counter. I got a penny out, and I scratched it off, and I lost I've never played the lottery since. That was my one and only shot at playing the lottery. Lost it. This month, true story, this month, an 18-year-old girl from Canada. I don't know if you read about this or not. 18-year-old girl from Canada plays the lottery for the first time, and she wins. Do you know how angry that makes me right now? <laughs> Do you know how different my life would look if I had won the lottery? We would have a church out there right now, paid in full. It is finished. Tetelestai. Tetelestai Community Church. Praise the Lord. She plays the lottery on her 18th birthday for the first time. And she wins a million dollars. She wins a million dollars. And now she's faced with this first major decision as an adult. But it's a very important decision. Do, does she take the one million dollars in one lump sum, which would be around 777,000 U.S. dollars? Does she take that one lump sum or does she receive a thousand dollars a week for the rest of her life? And she chose the annuity, the, the reoccurring payments, weekly payments of $1,000 a month for the rest of her life. And this is a decision that will continue to pay dividends for her because they, they, they figured up over 60 years, just 60 years of her life, the next 60 years, at around $776.73 U.S. dollars, $776.73. That comes out to roughly over 60 years, $2.4 million U.S. dollars. I'd say she made the right decision, right? Makes life a whole lot easier, doesn't it? It's an ongoing result of something that has already been settled. She won the lottery, but for the rest of her life, every week, she gets the check in the mail. No questions asked. She just keeps getting the residual income. The perfect tense that was used in John 19 and 30, it's very significant to our lives as Christians. When Jesus said to Telestai, when he said it is finished, when it is completed, he was actually saying it is finished and it will continue to be finished. It's a ripple effect that just doesn't stop. It is finished here. It's finished on the cross, but it's not going to stop being finished. It's going to be finished and it's going to be finished and it's going to be finished and it's going to be finished. This Greek word to Telestai spoken in the perfect tense by Jesus on the cross 
And it was finished at that moment and for all time. There's no expiration date to it. His mercies are new every morning. It's finished, and it will continue to be finished. I came to the conclusion this week that my wife and kids would be better off financially without me. I I mean, true. Financially, they're better off without me because of my life insurance. As long as I keep my life insurance paid up and it's an automatic withdrawal, Mandy made sure of that. But as long as, as we keep paying on my life insurance, if something happens to me, Mandy and the kids, they're, they're taken care of. Y'all weep, y'all cry. But no, she's going to be okay. <laughs> She'll be able to pay off the house. Be able to pay off your car. And the kids' college, both of them. That's what's appetizing to her. That's why I sleep with one eye open right there. She wants her baby's college paid for, and so I have to watch it. If something happens to me today, you know what, okay? Somebody investigate this. But once she spends that life insurance money, it's gone. It's done. The insurance company, they're not going to keep sending Mandy checks. They're going to write her one lump sum because of the policy that we have and and they're just going to say here now what she does with it after that that's her business and and whether she uses wisdom or not that's up to her but there is one lump sum that they're going to give her but after that is gone there's no more with Jesus Christ as our insurance policy it was paid here it was paid here and here and here it, it was paid in full there and it was paid here and it was paid here and here and here and to a thousand generations and and it's paid there and there and it's paid back there and it's paid here and it's paid there and it's paid over there it's paid back there it's paid here it's paid Joe it's paid for you Robert man behind the curtain it's paid it's paid over there all, all of the security around the room it's paid there for our kids across the street it's paid there it doesn't stop it's residual. It is finished here. To tell us, die. It is finished, and it is finished, and it is finished, and it is finished, and it, it just doesn't stop, and we can't comprehend that. And so it doesn't matter how many times you've rejected him. When it's finished, he keeps offering that grace to you, and he keeps offering that mercy to you, and all you have to do is just realize that and say, God, I want to receive that. And he says, well, there it is. I've already done it. It's finished. And it's just flowing right by your life. Just, just receive it. It's yours. And that's how Tetelestai works. It's perfect tense. And it's his perfect love that casts out all fear. If you're fearful right now of where you're going to spend eternity, it's God's perfect love that casts out all that fear. You don't have to walk out of this room concerned and worried about your eternity. His love is perfect. And it will annihilate all that fear because it was done. 
and it continues to be done. And it's done. And it's done. It's done for me and for you. Thank you for listening to the podcast of DCC. For service times and directions, log on to www.destinycommunitychurch.org. Thanks again for listening.